Objects, a podcast all about cultural history, politics, and tat. Kind of a little bit like a cursed show and tell, I think that's how we describe it, where you, every week we bring in an object and we look at the social worlds that surround it and the various kind of interpretations and meanings of it that can render it cursed. Yeah. Um, and I think this week... <laughs> this week it's really cursed. <laughs> And we're also, I suppose it's also the geopolitics that's sort of swirling around our object this week as well, isn't it? Yes. Uh, just to introduce ourselves, I am a historian and broadcaster, Dr. Kasha T. And as ever, I'm joined by... Dan Hancocks. I'm a journalist and author. And I did actually do a history degree as well. So this is, this is uh, that's my sort of legitimacy for... I always more, think of you as a historian. A more history, I know. I feel out of my <laughs> don't, depth don't with all shy. these doctors around. Uh, but it is a more sort of history-focused episode, though it's odd to talk about it as a history-focused episode mm. in a way because we both lived through it. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. moment we're talking history. about. Yeah. Um, and the historian Lucy Robinson does history. She says contemporary as contemporary as you can make it, you know. And is I, that right? Yeah, and I, I love that idea that, like, Often, I've been sorry, I've been thinking a lot about temporality recently, about past, present always. and future, always. And about the distinctions, like when when is something relegated to the past and mm. when is something part of the ongoing present? Like the oh conflict in the war in Ukraine, is yeah. that like the present or is it history because of it started a year ago, but it's still unfolding and unfurling? I have a, I have a, a sort of answer to this that is really just a complaint about my degree, which is that um, I studied modern history. That was the name, capital M, capital H, mm. right? And the periodization of modern history is everything, well, Oxford anyway, everything from 300 AD. Right. Pretty modern, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> Love those guys in 300 AD. <laughs> and they, they couched it as 300 AD to the present. But basically anything sort of art taking place after about 1945 was seen as a bit sus by this incredibly <laughs> like outdated institution. It was basically seen as politics, which is like fripperies and uh. sort of not for proper academics to study. So like... Should have gone to Sussex. I know, honestly. Well, that was... Yeah, very nearly did. And there lies, I think, the problem with our education yeah. and university yeah. system, I yeah, guess. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, what we're doing today is yeah. definitely modern history. <laughs> definitely, definitely modern. Um, so, so modern, in fact, that I came across our object while I was scrolling on Twitter. And it was one of those things that I just saw and I thought, surely not. Like, this can't be real. There are yeah. so many questions. And being trolled, which, you know, yeah. is a, is a, in our line of work slash podcasting, it's a danger. Exactly. Someone's, exactly. Just, someone's just photoshopped something, right? Exactly. And you don't want to take the bait, right? You don't no. want to take the bait. No one wants if to be rickrolled like... by no, a cursed exactly, object. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a mug. You know, I love mugs because yep. of my tea obsession. Sure. So I was looking at this mug and it's a fairly large mug, kind of in a pale green with like a black handle. And it's kind of got like black speckles on it, almost kind of like 
a vintagey kind of photography vibe, mm -hmm. but like as in the speckles. But it's kind of like definitely something that kind of has an aesthetic that you would find maybe in like a vintage kind of like shop, you know, but something that's probably produced to look kind mm. of uh, of a particular style, that kind of particular... Yeah. Sort of um, throwback to a 20th century aesthetic, isn't it? Yeah, but also kind of like hipstery modern, I would okay. say. So like the text on it is like lowercase and it's it's kind of the size of the mug is kind of one that you would imagine like a woman in on a cosy evening, maybe holding the mug with two hands. Oh. And she's in her like Heiger moment. Is that how you say that? You know, Heiger moment. And she's right. wearing like a chunky knit and she's, okay. you know, like drinking, a I don't know, like a mug of cocoa, or whatever, with her two hands around this mug. In her cottage core era. Very cottage core era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So on this mug, there is three words. Mm -hmm. Well, the three main words, all lowercase. Mm -hmm. And it says, B here now and you think oh, okay so that's kind of chiming with this cottage core kind of vibe until you see the bottom which says guantanamo bay cuba Ooh. Yeah. yeah yeah and it's like sorry what is this like mindfulness in guantanamo because in a way right it brings together some of the stuff that we've talked about on cursed objects a lot the idea of like how mindfulness is quite sus and it's mm. sold back to us but also like, you know, the idea of like exceptional spaces and also the kind of transience of like gift shops and stuff like that. And I just feel like this is an object that kind of brings together a whole constellation of things that feel like they're they're wrong about our, <laughs> yeah, about our like, you know, late capitalist moment, but also our society. And I just couldn't believe it was real, but it is real. Because the message, the, yeah, it's an extraordinary combination of, of messages, isn't it? Yeah. Be here now, plus that tagline, that punchline, that kicker. Someone that you'd never want to be, right? Yeah, right. Now or at any other time, really. Yeah. Is be here now... So I'm a bit older than you, Kasha. I, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that is that's the name of the third Oasis album. Yes. Uh, which, which is when they, <laughs> when they fell off and slash reached their kind of like nadir or apex, depending on how you look at it, Sorry, of like cocaine-infused sort of like egotism. Are you saying that Noel Gallagher had something to do with this? I, look, whether he was involved in Extraordinary Rendition or not is not for me to say. <laughs> well, it's something that we'll uncover <laughs> later yeah. on. No, but I wonder <laughs> The if... Cool Britannia era and Extraordinary Rendition <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. yeah well, it's, they are the new Labour, exactly, they're really? the new Labour band. <laughs> there is a thread there that goes from Noel Gallagher meeting Tony Blair in Downing Street as part of his attempt to sort of, you know, throw a cloak of cool over the over the New Labour project. Even that, that phrase, cool, like Cool Britannia, yeah. is like literally taken from Rule, Brit Rule Britannia. This like yeah. horrible, like, yeah. like yeah. empire. Bom, 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 yeah, yeah, like it's just, it's yeah, it's absolutely bonkers. But that, cause, so that phrase, be here now, I guess when the Oasis album came out and I spent, I'm sure, thirteen ninety nine on the CD and mm. was incredibly disappointed by it, I don't think I would have really understood. I don't think I would have thought anything of those words, you know, not least because Oasis have a habit of just writing down phrases that don't really mean anything. Like their lyrics aren't particularly thought through. But I can now see in this context on this mug, particularly because it's like B full stop, here full yeah. stop, now full stop, that that is the essence of like, of a, of a yeah mindfulness that asks you to be present like yeah in this moment to, to it's about putting aside sort of anxious concerns right it's about like that's that's the coming, coming back to temporality it's yeah. all about like 
like temporality is massively weaponized, I think. Well, not weaponized, but utilized, perhaps we should mm. say, within this kind of like idea of mindfulness mm-hmm. and like with this idea of like uh, not thinking about the past. You know, these are like in, in terms of like depression management, like classic, mm. like, you know, don't don't dwell on the past. Don't be too okay. anxious about the future. Oh, be present in the moment. Right. So there is yeah, a, yeah. there is a particular temporality at play in terms of like these techniques. Mm. But I just think that that constellation, that that kind of picture that this paints of like mm. mindfulness and being in the moment mm. in a place that has been, that has had an incredibly fraught history and more recently a history that has been like um, completely, I guess, shaped by torture. Yeah, it's synonymous it, with torture, essentially, exactly, isn't it? Exactly. It's synonymous, synonymous with injustice, but also just like needless in like suffering. Yeah, like, yeah. No, it's an extraordinary clash of phrases as, as we're saying but I'm really interested in that idea of, of the role that temporality plays in it as well mm-hmm. because you know I think if you're so we should say a bit more we'll say a bit more about the Guantanamo Bay gift shop in a moment yeah I mean just it exists, it exists. That, that's the one thing that full stop we, we, can absolutely, end, we can end the show yeah we have to get across to you this is a real thing that exists that sells products like the be here now mindfulness Guantanamo Bay tea mug but the sort of people it will be selling to will be uh, soldiers and sailors of the US Army, um, those are the people on the Guantanamo Bay military base. As I say, I'll explain a bit more about, about the base in a minute. But it's interesting to me to ask, like, the relationship between the armed forces in general and things like mindfulness is kind of itself quite cursed. Yeah. Even aside from the specifics of the horrendous things that were being done, that yeah. were being done and are still being done um, in, in that extremely unusual place that is the Guantanamo Bay military base and the prison there. Like soldiers suffer a lot of PTSD, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They're the mental health problems that are accrued by people who do do and see horrible things for a Mm -hmm. living on behalf of the state. You know, you you probably need quite a bit more than mindfulness, I would have thought, to get past it. But the idea of telling of a soldier sitting there, not not a woman in a chunky knit sort of uh, sweater uh, sitting by a fire. That's such re- a different image, book. isn't it? It's such a different yeah. image, like a soldier that's like engaged in torture yeah. and is trying to forget it mm. and doesn't want to think about perhaps, you know, their future of... I mean, you could also, you know, this isn't a show... This is not a podcast where we are going to talk about the armed forces at length, but like the amount of... Um, and they are clearly not the victims in this in this context either. But it is also interesting to think about who that mug is made for and who's going to buy it you know, the number of ex-armed forces, people that end up with serious mental health problems, who take their own lives, who end up homeless, particularly in the States, is, like, mm. phenomenally high as well. Mm. So, like, you probably do have a right to be anxious about the future um, as well as traumatised about the past, yeah. about your past. And so present presentism, is that is that a word? Yes. As opposed to presenteeism, which is no, to do with trade unions and yeah. strikes. And <laughs> I'm a bit confused over that. But yeah, like... That that's that's you know a bit of speculation on my part, but that's probably the person that's going to be using that mug, and that's that's horrifying in itself. Yeah, I think so. Even, it's such a cynical. Well, it's just a cynical example of like the world that we live in. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess we should. Th- I should say with this picture, um, the woman who took it is a, uh, I believe, a New York Times journalist called Carol Rosenberg. And the tweet said, mindfulness, full stop, at the souvenir shop at Guantanamo Bay. Um, She's keen to stress um, in the next tweet that um, the US military forbids journalists from taking photos in the base souvenir shops and commissary, where some shelves are sometimes bare. So she says she bought the mug, 
for $8.99. Right. And took the photo once she'd left the bay. Oh, that's not getting arrested. That's not getting arrested. I think that's her kind of putting the disclaimer there, like... Please don't. <laughs> Please, if you're if you're reading this US US military, yeah, yeah, just 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 to be clear before you know you sort of turn up outside my house. But that in um, itself is fascinating, I think, because it yeah, highlights yeah. it highlights actually one of the main issues that I think is runs through any kind of investigative journalism or any commentary on the Guantanamo Bay area, yes. which is that like. We don't know what's there. We no, don't, absolutely. you know, we, it's a it's a secure facility that, like, some journalists might be allowed into at, like, you know, really, really high levels of security clearance. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in terms of how we envisage it, like, mm. when I think about Guantanamo Bay, the only images that I can think through it with are the ones of Abu Ghraib. You know, yeah. they're, they're the ones... Which is like somewhere else. Somewhere else, right? And, like, <laughs> yeah. contextually. But when I think about all of the murky things mm, mm. that take place in there... Yeah, like, the picture in your mind is yeah. of something else because it is a black site, right? Yeah, like, because there is such an absence of, yeah. like, knowledge about, like, really the things... No, I've been thinking there. a lot about invisibility and visibility as well for that, for that same reason because here we have a visible product of like invisible horrors ultimately Mm, mm. um and invisible you know justice in inverted commas in the sense that there is no due process like the existence of guantanamo bay Mm. is itself an exception you know from how a state like the u.s purports to conduct itself internally right exactly and i think that's what makes the objects that you're going to describe yeah yeah uh, all the more cursed because they're also some of the only things that we know to be coming out of this exactly. site that's yes, it that's they, make, so true. they make it visible so yeah. like when you see this mug and you think oh okay like from this site all i know is like the extreme like it was called enhanced interrogation techniques oh my god you know that euphemism for torture that like the bush administration used Mm. it's just like that is the site where all of those like very very horrible practices that like show why Mm. states are so rotten Mm. happened and then you have that you know it's happening there but you you can't articulate you can't visualize because they haven't provided necessary but there is no like yeah there is no like visual trace. As, and then you see things like this mug. Yeah. It makes it even more stark. No, I completely agree. And actually, just a little thought that occurred there, the language is also occluding the reality, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, a statement of the obvious maybe, but in the same way that the crimes are hidden away, the torture is hidden away, the specifics and the suffering of the individuals who've been taken there has been completely obscured from view. Language like enhanced interrogation techniques also occludes the reality yeah. because it is not describing force feeding someone on hunger strike or waterboarding, waterboarding, or yeah. They you know, know they know they know exactly s- what they're doing. Sensory deprivation. Yeah, sound, sound and actually, like it's really interesting under the Bush administration or like you know really Dick Cheney. Um, it's it's really interesting how. Um, the changing of language was really important. And, like, mm. obviously this isn't a historical resource, but I was watching the film Vice oh, yeah. um, about Dick Cheney. Mm. And it was really interesting. They had this moment, because I've been thinking a lot about focus groups as well and, like, the new <laughs> Labour era. Right, but, like, right, the yeah. Bush administration was really big on focus groups as well. Mm-hmm. And they did things like they had focus groups and they were like, how does everyone feel about the phrase global warming? And everyone's like, I feel pretty bad about that. And they were like, 
what about climate change? And they're like, yeah, it feels pretty good. (laughs) But, you know, climates change, you know? It's literally as simple as that, right? And it's like the way that language, I mean, this isn't the only example, but the way that language is manipulated in various different instances Mm. as a way to um, kind of like, uh, not a shoe, eclipse, like the crimes Mm. of those of that time Mm. is like incredibly... You know, it's nothing new, mm. but it's something that in this context, I don't know, I've just been thinking a lot about. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of mealy mouthed kind of words and euphemisms mm. that that are used by the American state. And as you say, it doesn't didn't begin in 2001 with the sort of t- attacks in the World Trade Center. And it didn't end with, you know, Bush and New Labour leaving power at the end of that decade. Mm. But I think it's something that's easily forgotten about that decade if you're one of our many Gen Z listeners, then uh, then yeah, it's easy. It's, you know, maybe you don't realise that like a conversation that was really prominent in the UK, in particular in the 2000s around New Labour, was their management speak. Yeah, mm. their, their their application of sort of neoliberal office kind of sort of white collar English, uh, which is frequently euphemistic and sort of avoids stating a reality. Mm. Um, was a big part of of what New Labour did. Like they just spoke, they spoke in sound bites. You know, everything was spin. Like you know, Alistair Campbell's the one writing. You know, writing policy. That's sorry, sort of, he also has mental health. Yeah, sorry, he does also. Just, maybe he maybe he could get this mug and feel better about about the dodgy dossier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, about all of the, the yeah about his the, role. <laughs> exactly, his key role in in all of those in all of that suffering. Um, so let's take a look at some of the other things available in the Guantanamo Bay gift shop, shall we? Like, as as you say, Kasha, like, a key part of it is that, um, or, or rather a telling part of the existence of the Guantanamo Bay gift shop is that you can't take photos in it. Mm. Uh, even in the gift shop, you know, like, there's still an occlusion of the reality going on there if it's effectively... Was it illegal to take photos? Yeah. Is that what she said? Yeah. Can, I, can I just say, also, yeah. I, I really love this because, like, me and you have often spoken about, like museum gift shops you know yeah. like our whole podcast is basically about museum gift shops yeah. in a way right that was kind of an inspiration for we, it we live in the gift shop we right? live in the gift <laughs> shop yeah. right we're getting drunk with the angel of history in the <laughs> gift shop and i just think that gift shops are such incredibly strange spaces because mm. like often they have no connection to the wider operations of the museum or yes. institution or whatever they operate within their own kind of realms of like what mm. people might want to buy and how yeah. and things that they want to sell so I think that is something that really also like you know kind of frames a lot of the things that we find here which is really strange I think I think maybe we discussed this in our like in the excellent guest episode where we had Alice Proctor talking about the Van Gogh ear razor which was like a uh, a, an ear shaped um it was a very tasteless art gift and you know the fact that like decisions made by the commercial wing of a museum Mm. or a cultural institution or a gallery probably has nothing to do like if the people on the curatorial side were like who who you know whose life and work is devoted to van gogh say mm. are like could you not do that that's really really horrible and tasteless mm. you know, the that most likely the people on the commercial gift shop side are like sorry who are you we're yeah. We're, we're we're trying to fund this institution here and we don't really care what you think. Basically, but, is that fair? But also, is that a good summary? But like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. But then it makes it even more bizarre in the context of Guantanamo Bay right. because it's yes. like Yeah, that's not <laughs> Who's like, you know, I mean, I, I mean the They fine... do have high costs, but yeah. I I, don't, I doubt that selling a few mugs is really going to cover Yeah. The, uh... Do you know I had that feeling because I was looking up things about Guantanamo Bay and about like the cost of Guantanamo Bay. Mm. And um 
I think it costs about $29,000 per prisoner per night to keep Guantanamo Bay open. And I was reading some article that was like, this is a reason why it should close. I was like, that's not the reason why it should yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like, is also mad. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously, it's a, it's a really high cost, but I actually think that it's not really, you know, like, cost is almost immaterial when something like this, like, it like it just mm. shouldn't even like no, exactly. like I don't want I don't want my torture facilities to be cost effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't want them do, to do exist. You know, do you know what? Uh, actually, this yeah, this is a really efficient yeah. torture facility, yeah. so it's fine. Oh, yeah. great! Like, that was that wasn't really the point. Yeah, I, I can just... tell you, however, that the annual operating costs are 150 million US dollars a year, and that actually, obviously, I completely agree with you about that. This is the cost of Guantanamo Bay is really not the issue. But before we get it, actually into the specifics of the gift shop because this is really kind of all connected. Let me just uh, read to you a little bit from a piece in ETA London about some of the finances of the Guantanamo Bay. I'm, I'm interested to know what ETA London yeah. has to say about, about Guantanamo they Bay. Are, they are the first resource you would go to. Um, by the way, RIP ETA London, yeah. a fantastic website that unfortunately was closed down by its owners recently. But yeah, they, they, they write as follows. Um, While the military might be shutting down the Burger King and Pizza Hut in bases in Afghanistan... Fast food options remain in Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. The Washington Post obda- obtained a line-by-line breakdown of capital expenditures at the U.S. Naval Station in Guantanamo Bay, and it turns out the Pentagon has spent at least five hundred million U.S. dollars since nine eleven renovating the base, including quote six hundred eighty-three thousand U.S. dollars to renovate a cafe that sells ice cream and Starbucks coffee, and seven hundred seventy-three thousand dollars to remodel a cinder block building to house a KFC and Taco Bell. It's the military industrial fast food complex, they, they write. Uh, this is, and I'm going to carry reading this because this does give you a sense of what's outside the gift shop mm. beyond the prison. This is in addition to baseball and football fields, cost $7.3 million, an abandoned volleyball court, $249,000, an unused go-kart track, $296,000, a skate park, $164,000, and 27 playgrounds that are often vacant, $3.5 million. Um, there is also housing that looks like quote modern day hotels with mirrored walls, brass handrails, and handsome foyers. So yeah, that's those are just the costs of renovation. But it points to the fact that despite Barack Obama saying he would close it in two thousand and nine, or I think it was, or no, two thousand eight, he said he'd do it within a year. It's very much not closed. I think there's been quite a lot of like. There's been a lot of pushback in the Senate from the Republicans on right, closing it. Right, is that right? Because um, Joe Biden also said that he wants to close it, but I think it's almost like it's reached an impasse. Right. Where it's just, it doesn't seem to be going yeah. anywhere. And so there's it's still like, prisoners there. Well, exactly. And it's just like one of these incredibly, it's just like it also shows right how like grindingly slow the like mm. American... The wheels of American bureaucracy yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Completely. But also how like fractured and like actually awful they are mm. that like something like this which is objectively terrible it's an awful place mm. are kept open because there are some truly awful people yeah. in charge i i feel like one of those things that when you think about it you get really angry because you are so powerless like we're we're, we're like we're not even yeah. american nationals right yeah. um it's just like so, it, it, but it has such an impact on like the world on the mm. international stage well including the you know the many the many people who are imprisoned without charge and tortured are yeah. also not American nationals. Yeah. You know, they. Yeah. Let's just go through some of the objects just to give us a sense of what else is in this cursed gift shop. Okay. Um, so we've got an I love. Can I just have a really big deep breath? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I just feel like I really upsetting. need this. <laughs> okay, go on. 
So there's um, an I love Gitmo, I heart Gitmo lip balm. Which right. Is, which is cute. Just, okay. Just, uh... So it should be said that Gitmo is the nickname for the Guantanamo mm-hmm. Bay um, detention centre, essentially. Mm-hmm. So Guantanamo Bay is like a... A bay, a it's, natural it's, phenomenon. It's, yeah, yeah, it's a bay on like the southeast of, of Cuba, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Gitmo is the name of the detention centre specifically. Yeah. And because there is this wider military base there... I think a lot of the gifts sort of, and indeed the general life that I was describing in that, you know, the the skate park and the children's Mm. playgrounds Mm. and there's a KFC and, you know, it's sort of, to I think a lot of people, it's sort of like a suburban, Mm. uh, an American suburban town. There's a really good quote about that in this Business Insider piece um, about the sort of contents of the gift shop, which sort of, sort of speaks to the fact that it's just sort of like a, like a sort of a fairly kind of banal and mundane bit of everyday America. And that's Mm. what they've tried to recreate there for the people, for the people working and living on the naval base. Uh, Now, some of those will be torturing people who have not been charged with anything and have been detained Mm. without charge for 20 years. Many of them won't be, but Mm. this is a sort of real banality of evil Mm. thing is that like someone's still got a, feed and clothe those people and then you know someone's got to um you know fix the lights and clean the toilets and stuff a lot of the people that live and work on the base are actually from jamaica because of america's relationship with cuba they're not going to be sort of local mm-hmm. employees um so it'll be uh, and there's you know an unsurprising but depressing pay disparity between the jamaican employees and the american ones even when they're doing the same job if you're working in a bar you get paid about half the amount if you're in jamaica so Um, so unsurprising and so depressing yeah Yeah. just just another little kind of just another chink in the neo-colonial armor or whatever Mm. or 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 other an aspect of it but yeah this business insider piece describes the sort of relationship between the prison and the life on the rest of the base. Mm. So it says, the prison is located far away from the base and most people aren't allowed to go there. The journalist Sarah Merck said um, that it, it, quote, feels like out of sight, out of mind. Even when you're on the base, mm. the yeah. uh, the torture facility is sort of out of sight, out of mind. It's sort of positioned around the bay a little bit yeah. on the other side of some of some what looks like some hills on Google Maps. Well, I think it's important to say as well, because I was trying to get a handle on how this, how it works. Mm. And there are, I think what you could call maybe like a camp complex. Mm. So there are a number of like, a number of bits within Guantanamo Bay. So there's Camp X-Ray, which Mm. is like the the cause of like a lot of controversy, which I think is closed down now. But there's also Camp Delta, Camp Echo, Camp Iguana. Uh, Camp Platinum. So they're kind of like separate prisons within Uh the prison complex, as it were. And they kind of do different things. With different names like Camp Iguana. I mean, it sort of made it sound like a sort of Butlins type resort. Well, like Camp Platinum? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a, it's another thing. And, and, and also I, I really felt like listening to you, this is like something that I kind of, I don't know, it's just kind of been like, like hovering over me. Obviously when I was like working for the Holocaust Educational Trust, we take like groups of children, like you know, like teenagers mm. to like Auschwitz, mm. um, Auschwitz one and like Auschwitz two as well. And like often mm. it's like quite hard for them because they think Auschwitz is one thing, but mm. there's like different areas, right? There's yeah. like Auschwitz one, Auschwitz two, and there was Auschwitz three. But you, we don't go there because it doesn't really exist anymore. But you know, and they and that their functionalities were really different. So mm. there's like you know, Auschwitz one was kind of like predominantly for Polish prisoners at the beginning Mm. and like, uh, whereas like Birkenau was very much more for like 
uh, you know, like the, the mass execution essentially mm, of, mm. of um, Jewish people. And I was just, when you were just talking now, struck by this moment and we're at this kind of intersection. And on the one hand, there's on like, a, we're at a wall and across the wall is uh, where the camp commandant Rudolf Hertz lived. And we read this thing about him when we stood there, you know, like what kind of a man was he? And he mm. was just, you know, we read this thing that's like, he loved his kids. He looked like a normal person, basically mm -hmm. like, you know, that banality of evil thing. Like, cause we think about now, like how could someone live next to this mm. site that we now associate with like the greatest of evils, right? The yeah. greatest of horrors. And it just feels exactly like that. You reading out that example of these people that are just like living there, living next to this, mm. living next to these sites where like actually unspeakable acts are being yeah. committed. And you just think in that moment, like, wow, it's not just that history is going to judge these people that are going to judge this situation, mm. right, in, in a particular way. But also, like, we are judging it like that now. Like, come on, like, mm. that that proximity, I think, makes mm. it even worse. The proximity of, like, normal everyday rhythms of life yeah, yeah. next to, like, what, when they would, like, wake, you know, the, the kind of, like, fractured temporal rhythms mm. and lifestyles of, and, and lives, I guess, of the people who are living in these prisons. Yeah, Fra fractured to the point of, like, you know, one of the many kind of torture techniques is, that is used is sort of the denial of kind of ryth rhythms, rhythms of life, yeah. of, like, you know, exactly. of light and meals and sort of, you know, things taking place at, an, uh, you know, like like you can disorient somebody mm. massively, right? Yeah. You know, is is a very polite way of putting it. Like yeah. You, you fuck. You completely fuck that with their head, basically yeah. by yeah. by denying them access to to light and day and and sort of routines um, and locking them in a dark cell yeah. with no windows. You know. Yeah. Hi everyone, it's Kasia here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cursed Objects. If you would like the full version, it's available on our Patreon. It was quite a tough episode to record, but if you think that it's an important one, please do share it widely amongst your friends or network or anyone you think should know more about this. Uh, doing the research into it was really um, quite depressing, quite eye-opening, but ultimately I think both Dan and I were struck by the importance of remembering that these places exist and that they continue today. So thank you for your support and we'll see you next time.